Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. With the Iowa caucuses coming up on January 15th, I wanted to have someone to come on the show to just give a straight analysis, to just look at the data, let us know what's going on in the Republican primary. Is there a lane for anyone besides Donald Trump at this point? If so, what does that lane look like? Is there a world where Joe Biden is not the Democrat nominee? I've got a lot of questions about the 2024 presidential election and who better to have on the show than Tom Bevan, who's the co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics. Of course, we always look to Real Clear Politics to get a, a better glimpse at polling and see where races stand. So I, I'm looking forward to having Tom on to really break this down for all of us as we start to get into heavy election season. Stay tuned for Tom Bevan. All right, well, Tom Bevan, uh, it's great to have you on the show. I appreciate you making the time. Absolutely. Great to be with you. We can't help but feel like, at least for the Republican primary, well, I mean, I guess for both, right? But that this is sort of inevitable that, you know, it's going to be Trump, it's going to be uh, Joe Biden. You know, we're coming up on the Iowa caucuses. Is, is there a path for any other Republican besides Trump? Look, he's in a very strong position, right? He's up 35 and a half points in our, <clears throat> in our real clear politics average. As of today, we, we have two new polls that have come out in the new year, um, but we're still waiting for some more data. But those new polls show him improving his position, not not Haley surging, not you know DeSantis making some big move. So the race looks really stable. Um, now that doesn't mean that there can't be a surprise um, that happens on Monday. I mean, the only way this, in my opinion, the only way that this kind of really works is if you have someone like Haley, let's take her as the best example, who, who you know, she's at 16.6% in our RCP average, right? So say she does doubles her, you know, somehow she, you know, has a late surge, she gets a lot of votes at the caucuses, and she finishes, you know, 30, 32%. And, and let's say Trump, who is at 52%, in the RCP average, you know, underperforms and is at 45% or something. Then you'd have a narrative, which, you know, the media would love this and they would run with it for sure, 
that you know Haley's surging and Trump is vulnerable, right? Even though he wins and he wins by 10 points, um, that would be a narrative where he didn't he didn't beat expectations, he didn't meet expectations, she did, and therefore you have, you know, oh, we're off to New Hampshire and where the race is. You know, it's closer in New Hampshire. I mean, there's definitely signs. Trump's lead there is is down to under 14 points in our RCP average. We have two new polls out. One that has the CNN poll that just came out had Trump's lead over Haley only at seven percent. Um, the USA Today poll had him up 20 points. So, but overall, he's he's you know his lead is not as big there as it is uh, in Iowa. And so, yeah, that's a scenario where you could see. Um, Something happening, but you know, if Trump wins in Iowa by twenty or twenty-five points, and Nikki Haley, you know, she her polls are, are at sixteen, and she finishes at twenty, I, you know, it's going to be really, really hard for the media to make that case, even though they're going to want to make it very badly. You know, I mean, DeSantis has put in a lot of time and money into Iowa. How difficult are the Iowa caucuses to poll? And you know, what do you make of sort of that time and effort in there? Will it bear any fruit? The Iowa caucuses are hard to poll. Um, because they're pretty low turnout. So, you know, people who suggest to pollsters that they're going to, on caucus night, they are actually going to go and, and you know, sit there and listen to the speeches and then and then vote um, may not be telling the truth or, you know, I mean, the weather's not going to be great. Um, it's going to be really, really cold on Monday right now. And uh, so that might keep some people home. So you may not, that produces some of the elements of, of uh, you know, um, a possible upset or or something, you know, a surprise happening. Listen, in 2016, Trump was leading in all the polls in Iowa, um, but he he ended up losing to Ted Cruz by about three and a half points. Now, the difference there is about 10 uh, from where the caucus is finished. In 2012, it was a much more fluid race. Um, it was where you also had you know, Rick Santorum with late surge, who ended up winning by one-tenth of 1% over Mitt Romney. Um, and so you had some of the polls there that were wrong. Some of them had Ron Paul uh, winning that race. Some of them had Mitt Romney. But, you know, fast forward to, to today, and the difference is, um, you know, Trump is so far ahead and is so consistently ahead in the polls that they would all have to be not just wrong, but but way wrong, like outside the margin of error, like the sample. And is that possible? Yes. Is it likely? No, I don't think it is. I mean, again, you might have Haley overperform. You might have DeSantis because, again, to your point, he's spent a lot of time and effort and he's got like 60,000. I, I read he's got like 60,000 commit, caucus commitments, people who who have you know pledged that they're going to show up and vote for him. Um, so that might bear some fruit and, and he could overperform his polls. But the idea that he could actually, you know, that either one of them could really outright beat Donald Trump uh, seems to be pretty far-fetched at this point. Well, and the challenge, too, as you know, is I mean, we know how consequential the first four primary states are to either nomination, Republican or, or Democrats. And so, you know, if you've got DeSantis, let's say somehow he pulls off an upset in, in Iowa, you know, he gets stopped in New Hampshire, right? Some of that momentum gets killed in New Hampshire, likely, or, or vice versa, let's say. Nikki Haley somehow pulls off an upset in, in New Hampshire. You know, South Carolina looks really good for Trump. So was there ever a lane for someone else in this Republican primary? Or, or do you think just Trump's basically running like an incumbent and and that is just how it was always going to be? I think there was 
um, at least the data suggested that there was when this started. I mean, if you go back and look at uh, the national averages, I mean, DeSantis was within striking distance of Trump when he when he started his campaign. He was at you know ten or fifteen points behind Trump. Um, some polls had him even at single digits. I, there was this idea that you know it might be time to to move on from Trump, and DeSantis was super hot and popular at that time. I think he just ran a really flawed campaign. Um, and I think in retrospect, you know, it would have taken uh, just a different, I mean, he had he had to win over Trump voters and he had to do that without alienating them. And so going in there and attacking Donald Trump and saying he, you know, he didn't fire Fauci and he was a lockdown guy and, you know, transgender stuff and immigration, he didn't do this, didn't do that. It turned out to not actually win over any of those Trump voters. And so that I think his just his whole theory of the case was wrong. Uh, and and the way he ran his campaign was was flawed and therefore didn't produce. Had he run it differently, um, there might have been a potential uh, for, for him to actually pull this off. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think once that die was cast and he went in that direction, um, it became Donald Trump's race to lose. And he hasn't you know, really look back. He's only gotten stronger as as the indictments have come, as um, as the you know primary has worn on. And I think you know what we're going to see with this these you know final debates. It'll be Nikki Haley and and Ron DeSantis on a stage for ninety minutes, like tearing into each other, while Donald Trump's going to be you know sitting off and having a nice conversation with Brett and Martha on Fox News. And he's just he's won every step of the way by by staying out of the fray and letting these candidates attack each other and then also try and attack him. Although in fairness, I feel like it was a really tight rope for anyone to walk in the sense of like, you have to create a narrative and you have to convince voters that there have, there has to be a different path from Trump while simultaneously still needing some of his voter base. So it's like, you know what I mean? So that's almost like a, it's a really tough scenario for anyone to kind of try to navigate. I feel like taking on, someone who is sort of in a position of incumbency like Trump is. How much do you think the indictments ended up helping Trump in the primary, at least? I think they helped him a lot. I mean, I think in particular, the way they came down, this first one from Alvin Bragg, which just seemed just so political on its face. I mean, that sort of colored everything that happened after that, These the, the subsequent indictments. And the data supports this. I mean, you know, you look at most Republican voters, even independents say that that a lot of these um, suits are are politically motivated. Um, they lack merit. Um, they're you know trying to get Donald Trump off the ballot, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the way that it has has played out has definitely, I think, helped Trump and and rallied people to his even folks who may have been open to voting for someone else. Um, they ended up rallying to his side. Uh, the the more he was attacked. And I, I actually, I mean, I agree with you, Lisa, that it was always a tough thing. I mean, I, I had said publicly before, you know, this was going to, that DeSantis was going to have all of these folks in his ear telling him how great he was and that he needed to do this for the party and for the country. And he'd have all the money that he needed. And, you know, um, he was the only guy who could do this. And, but it was a basically a fool's errand for him to try and get in a, a you know, sort of mud wrestling match with Donald Trump for 18 months. Um, and, it, and it would ruin his, you know, maybe not his entire political career, but it would certainly take the the shine off of his his big victory in 2022. Um, and that's kind of what happened. I mean, he's going to leave if he does not perform well 
next uh, Monday night in Iowa. He's probably, I mean, he's already in fourth place in New Hampshire. In some polls, he's in fifth place. I mean, he's going to have to get out. There's just no place for him to go. There's no path forward. And um, that's going to be a real low point for him, for someone who started with with as high of expectations as as I think a lot of people had for him. Quick commercial break. More on the other side. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think, you know, Nikki Haley might end up being able to stay in longer just because she has all these big billionaire donors like the Koch brothers, et cetera, that, you know, have sort of been backing her. You know, I, I think DeSantis, maybe there was a little bit too much overconfidence heading from the midterms when you know, that was different because obviously voters in Florida had experienced his leadership for four years, right? When in reality, this was probably more like 2018 when you're running for the first time and people, you know, haven't had that experience, right? So they, they didn't really get to see what he's like as governor. You know, it's one thing to see it versus being told. How do you think the indictments play out in a general election? Because I, I just, I'm not convinced that moderates, and independent voters, even though, you know, those are fewer and far between these days, are going to have the same level of sympathy 
on this as Republican primary voters? It's a good question. It's it's sort of unknowable. I mean, there there has been polling that suggested that if he's convicted, that that will somehow be a tipping point and, and people will be turned off from that. And it certainly will give additional ammunition to Biden and the Democrats to run ads saying he's, you know, he's been convicted of whatever. Um, but on the other hand, as I mentioned, there's some data suggesting that, you know, even independents think that some of these cases, these suits have been politically motivated. Trump will obviously be able to claim that that this is persecution, not prosecution, and that he's the victim here, and this is a terrible thing. Um, so I, I'm not 100% sure that it's going to be as consequential as, as some people suggest. Um, I mean, everything that we see is that this is going to be a really close election. Um and if it is Trump and Biden and and it's a it's the election that nobody wants, but you know, we're gonna suffer through, apparently. And that uh I suspect it's gonna be a, a, a pretty close because the country's just so evenly divided, um, and has been for some time. And and it's gonna be a rerun of the movie we saw in 2020, but probably a, a worse version of it. My concern is, you know, Joe Biden clearly with all this threat to democracy stuff is not really trying to run that much on his record of accomplishments and is more just trying to convince people that the other side is worse. Right. And so if Republicans and, and I am one, obviously, but if Republicans are spending the entire time litigating, you know, these indictments and things of that nature, we're not having the opportunity to win over people in the middle to get Trump past the finish line. So I guess that's that's a concern of mine. It could be a valid concern. I think we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. I mean, the flip side is that, you know, is Joe Biden, even though Trump is sort of a quasi-incumbent, right? Joe Biden is the incumbent. And so if he spends all of his time saying, you know, democracy dies if Trump's elected, you know, you can't have this, you can't do that, he's terrible, you know, all of his supporters are fascists and Nazis and and all that, um, you know, he's not going to be talking about his record. He can't talk about his record. Um, and is that enough to get him across the finish line? I don't know that it is. That's why I think it is going to be a really, really close election um, because obviously there, there are plenty of folks who are not just Republicans, but independents and who are really concerned about the state of the economy and immigration and other issues that uh, will be a real drag for Biden in a general election setting. Of course, you know, the irony of that is they're saying it's a threat to democracy while simultaneously unilaterally trying to remove him from the ballot and deny people the opportunity to exercise their vote and voice. So like, I don't know how in tune with people are with that, of you know, how wrong and uh, hypocritical that is. But I guess we'll we'll see how that ends up playing out. You know, is there a world where Joe Biden is not the Democrat nominee next November. Sure. I think that's and and what would that look like? Like how does that go down? I don't know what the odds are. Um, you know, it's if it's like 2% or 10% or 20%. So there was a story out there was a, a top sort of uh strategist from JP Morgan who put in his sort of annual report of uh, the 10 surprises that are coming this year. Um, and one of them was Joe Biden is not going to be the Democratic nominee. He's going to drop out sometime uh, after Super Tuesday and before the convention. Uh, I think that's within the realm of possibilities. Uh, but, you know, the mechanics of how that's going to happen are still a bit murky, right? He would have to win enough delegates 
to become the nominee. And then he would have to basically go to convention and say, I'm stepping aside for health or whatever, and ask all of his, you know, delegates to, to vote for whomever. Right. And the question is, well, who would that be? Would it be Kamala? And if it's not Kamala, you know, is it, is it Gavin Newsom? Is it Michelle Obama? Is it, you know, and, and how, how badly does that fracture the democratic party? Um, and you know, how many, hurt feelings and bruised egos leave the convention, um, you know, in the final sprint to the, to election day. So I think it's, it's, it's a high risk would be a very high risk thing for Democrats to try and do, but I, I think they might, it's again, if, if things are that bad, if Biden is that vulnerable and the polling shows it, um, we just had a poll come out yesterday and again, long way from the election, but he's at, he's at 37% in Michigan, 37%. He's losing to Donald Trump there by eight points. He's losing to Nikki Haley by 10 points. Um, if that kind, if they're getting that kind of polling in June or July um, and Biden is has made it through the primary, which they've kind of engineered, right? He's not debating anyone. He's not whatever. They've, they've rearranged the schedule. So, he, so he's basically guaranteed the nomination. Um, then there will definitely be people who are breaking the glass in case of emergency and reaching for, you know, reaching for the alarm. And uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if at that point they put plan B into effect. Yeah. Well, and I think that's also part of why, you know, they're trying to remove him from the ballot as well of, you know, fire alarm. Right? We're worried about the uh, upcoming general election. How vulnerable is Joe Biden truly right now? And and how much does that matter being so far out from the general election? Well, he's definitely vulnerable. And he has, I mean, there's no question. I mean, look, we we run a lot of commentary on real clear politics on the front page every day. And you've got folks who are saying, some some Democrats and progressives who are saying, look, it's not as bad as people are making it out to be, right? It's not, you know, don't, don't get so down. Uh, Biden's numbers are better than you think. And, and, um, but I think if you just kind of zoom back and you look at historically speaking, where he stands, forty percent job approval rating in our real clear politics average, his his all time low is I think thirty seven, thirty eight. So he's he's pretty darn low. And it's when you get into the actual issues on inflation, it's you know immigration, economy, jobs. Um, he's he's below that. He's in the mid to high thirties. So he's definitely vulnerable. Um, and the question is, you know, how does that translate? I mean, he was vulnerable. Listen, in 2022, Biden went into the election with, and the Democrats, by every metric that we historically use to judge, uh, you know, the the strength of a candidacy, right? He had 8.5% inflation, uh, unemployment was high, gas prices were high, his job approval was low. Uh, the generic congressional ballot favored Republicans. I mean, there were all these signals that historically meant that the Democrats were going to suffer greatly, um, and they didn't, right? So fast forward now, Joe Biden's name is on the ballot. It is going to be a decision. It's a choice between him and the alternative, whatever who, whoever that might be. But at the same time, you know, will voters, will they hold him responsible if, the, if they're unhappy with the economy, um, if they're unhappy with the way the country's going? Uh, again, historically, traditionally, you'd say yes, but we live in such a sort of tribal environment that maybe his he 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 might not be as vulnerable. Um, he might have success, as you said, portraying 
you know, using sort of fear and portraying the other side as, as, you know, the end of democracy and, and this terrible fascist, you know, movement that can't be led anywhere near the white house. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But I mean, historically speaking, looking just at the, at the numbers, he's really, really vulnerable at this point, more vulnerable than any modern president heading into reelection that we've seen in, in a long, long time. Well, and to your point about the midterms, look, I, I got it wrong, right? Because I was basing what I thought would happen off of, you know, previous historical examples. They don't seem to apply anymore. And, you know, one of the big things that has changed in recent history politically is the way we vote with mail-in balloting. So, you know, how much has that changed? Because I mean, you know, when I used to work on campaigns, like you could turn a race around uh, heading into election day. And you just can't do that when you have X amount of ballots that have already been sent in and it's already baked in the cake. So the opportunities to change an election have really greatly changed and diminished. So, you know, how much has mail-in balloting just changed both the ability to apply previous norms and just the way we even try to observe elections? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think it it has had an impact. I mean, on a couple levels. One is early voting, right? People are now voting three, four weeks ahead of time. So you get a lot of those votes that, you know, if something happens in the final week of a race or something, you know, it, it doesn't have nearly the impact that you used to because, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 or even 40% of the vote has already been cast. Um, so there's that issue. But I think even more importantly, to your point, it is now, it's, it's again, blue team, red team, very tribal, and it's become not a persuasion game. It's it's more of just a, a a ballot pursuit game, right? How many ballots can you find? Can you harvest? Can you get into the ballot boxes? And Democrats have done a better job of that, quite frankly. And they used, I think, uh, the rule changes that were took place in during COVID, drop boxes and and you know mailing out ballots. Um, to everybody in who's on the you know on the registration list, um, those kinds of things, ballot harvesting, they did a much better job at that than than Republicans did. Uh, certainly in 2020, and and even more so in 2022. And the question is, will Republicans you know be as focused and be able to be have some sort of parity with that? And if, if they're able to do that, I think they'll be okay in 2024. But but if they're not, it could be a rerun where, you know, again, you look at the Biden's approval rating in Georgia, for example, in 2022, and in all of these battleground states, he was in the, he was below 40%. And so, which, you know, you would have thought would doom any of those candidates uh, that were running as Democrats, but, but the Democrats did a better job of pouring money and resources into get out the vote efforts in those eight states or six states or whatever there were, um, and and managed to stave off. I mean, they had some help, right, with some candidate quality issues on the Republican side in some of these states. Um, but even, even in a place like Pennsylvania, where, you know, by all accounts, you know, Fetterman was was a guy who, who had real issues, um, and Oz was seen as sort of the, you know, a moderate candidate. Um, you know, Oz lost, and it wasn't even that close. Quite honestly, um, so yeah, it's it's going to be that is part and parcel of of what our elections are these days, and Republicans have to they have to learn how to play the game um, because up until now they've been you know I mean Trump even in twenty twenty was like don't 
don't mail that ballot in. You know, you don't know what's going to happen to that, right? He put a lot of fear into people about mailing in ballots. Show up on election day. And then on election day comes and, and you know, you have weather in some places and other places you have, you know, in Arizona, for example, you've got malfunctions of machines and, and whatnot happening. Um, I think Republicans have completely changed their thinking about that. And the question is, we'll see whether whether they've been able to actually uh, you know, implement some of those policies that that would bear fruit in 2024. Quick break. More with Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my this idea of what do is that is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you know, you had mentioned the the Fetterman-Oz debate, and, you know, by the time that had happened, I think you had almost half of mail-in ballots had already been sent in. So it's like, you, you know, you've got a debate where the guy says goodnight before it starts, and you know, those votes have already been cast. So, you know, again, it, it, that that debate then has less significance because it doesn't really, you know, have the ability to turn things around to the extent that it could in previous elections. How difficult has this all made it? You know, obviously everyone looks to the real clear politics averages and, you know, as an aggregate and, you know, looking at where things stand in races. How tough has that made polling sort of these more modern dynamics and, uh, you know, how difficult is polling these days? How trustworthy is it? And and sort of what do you look now when you're looking at some of these polls? Well, those are big questions. Um, so one of the things that we, we are the guy. We are, 
<laughs> you can answer. So, I know. <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate it. So one of the things that we 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 just started a, our own uh, podcast fo- focused specifically on polling. It's called RCP Poll Position, and and so we're having on all of the top pollsters from around the country, Republican, Democrat, you know, in between, to talk about polling in sort of not get too in the weeds, but to make it accessible to to lay people and ask the sort of questions. I get asked these questions all the time. Um, and so I'm, you know, asking, uh, and we just, we just released an episode, uh, earlier this week with professor Charles Franklin. He runs the director of polling at, at the Marquette university law school, right. Which is, is one of the, you know, premier polls in the state of Wisconsin. And we talked to him about Iowa and then, and then in particular about how difficult it is to poll in Wisconsin. We've had some big misses there in the last few cycles, more so than any of these other upper Midwestern states. And we ask him sort of, why is that? And, and um, so, um, yeah, it is, It look, it's been a challenging uh, time for pollsters as they, as they've tried to, A, I think, you know, stay up to date with technology. A lot of pollsters are using where they used to just use, you know, random dial where they, you know, get a list of phone numbers and randomly dial people and ask them questions are now doing multimodal polls, which means they're, so they're dialing some, some landlines, they're dialing some cell phones, they're texting some people, they're doing some online stuff and they're combining all of those different modes into their sample. So that they're trying to do that so they can reach older people who still have landlines, younger people who only have, you know, cell phones and maybe only would respond to a text. Um, and, and then trying to use that data um, and and fashion it still at the end of the day once you've done your calls right once you have your sample the the trick is to estimate who's going to turn up on election day what is the electorate going to look like on election day how many african americans how many 18 to 34 year olds how many 65 plusers you know that kind of thing and and they do that based on you know, past elections, what happened in the past presidential cycles in these states or nationally. Um, and I think one of the tricky things that pollsters have been dealing with, particularly in when Trump has been on the ballot in 2016, 2020, and maybe even again this year, um, is that Trump, you know, well, A, he motivates the uh, the opposite side, but he also brings a lot of, of people who haven't been part, of, haven't voted in past elections, right? These are disgruntled people or people who have been apolitical, um, they come out and they vote. And so certainly um, that's been an issue because th- those are the kind of people that pollsters, you know, they're petrified of because you can't really quantify who they are, yeah, how they're going to vote, them. when they're going to show up. Yeah. They're not captured by the traditional methods. So so that's been one of the biggest challenges. The other thing is we've seen this real, um, and it's been exacerbated in the last couple cycles, uh, is this growing sort of rural, rural urban divide, right? Um, where, you know, again, go back to the example in Wisconsin, you had some of these folks who live in rural communities, they voted for Obama in 08 or maybe, or 12 or both, um, and then switched to Trump. And meanwhile, you've had, you know, a shift in the suburbs of folks who used to vote sort of, you know, like squishy, soft, moderate Republicans who have been sort of moved away from Trump um, and and turned and have been voting Democrats. So there have been some real shifts in the electorate over the last few cycles. And I think pollsters have have um, some have done better than others uh, in in adjusting to those changes. Um, 
And again, you know, the polling in 18 and 22 was actually pretty good. So it seems to be kind of unique to Donald Trump and how he sort of scrambles the the traditional um, equation when he's on the ballot. Interesting. Tom, this has been really interesting. I'd love to have you back on as we kind of move forward in 2024. I'm, I'm doing my best to not make the mistakes of the past. So I'm not, I'm going to be really careful trying to uh, call anything. <laughs> I feel I'm a little, I'm still burnt from uh, the midterms. <laughs> so I've got uh, dealing with some third degree burns. So <laughs> I appreciate you coming on the show and breaking this all down for us. Absolutely. So great to be with you. That was Tom Bevan, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics with some really interesting analysis. I really just wanted to have someone on, give it to us straight. So hopefully he can come back on the show and, you know, keep us updated. I want to thank you guys at home for listening every Monday and Thursday, but you can listen throughout the week. I want to thank John Cassio, my producer, for putting the show together. Until next time. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.